This special episode of the Danger Close podcast is brought to you by Red Sky Morning, the seventh novel in the James Reese Terminal List series. It is coming in hot on May 14th in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook. Go to officialjackcar.com to pre order your copy today. Welcome to the Danger Close podcast. For those of you who have listened to past episodes, you might recognize that this is a different background, and that's because I'm bringing all production in-house for season four. And the actual podcast studio is getting a revamp right now, getting a remodel out there. So in the meantime, I'll be doing podcasts from my library right here, and this is where I write the novels. And my first guest for season four is my buddy, Mark Green, former SEAL teammate, dear friend. And man, thank you so much for taking the time. He has a new book out called Unsealed. By the time this podcast drops, it'll be out, comes out January 22nd. And the Mark Green with an E at the end.com. People can go there as well. But Mark, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today, man. Thanks for having me, Jack. It's been way too long and I'm excited. Uh, the last time we saw each other was when out in Hollywood. I remember a crisp yeah. dinner with Chris Pratt and yeah. uh, me, you, Mark Owen, Jared Shaw, um, Kat from Antoine. Yeah. And, uh, we had a great, great dinner there. And I'm, I was trying to remember what year that was. Was it 2018 or 2019? 2018. 2018. Yeah. Man. And you were doing stuff at, were you at USC? Or were you doing I was stuff? at USC, yeah. So yeah. I came out to USC in 2016 and ended up uh, coming back east in 2020. But the four years I was out there was just an absolute blast. No kidding. Well, what, were you doing? what were you doing out there? Were you uh, doing a, a, a program? Were you getting a, a master's or PhD? What were you doing out there? So I started off, um, so out of retirement, I got hired at USC and um, I was doing fundraising, which I was terrible at. Um, but then one day my boss was like, look, Mark, we gotta get you out of here. Where do you want to work? And I was like, well, I really want to work with veterans. And so he switched me the next day. And so the new guy I worked with said, Mark, we don't have enough work for you. So just go find stuff to do. So Jack, I got in with athletics. I got in with the uh, uh, thoracic surgeon. I got in with the business school. I was doing speaking events. I was doing fundraisers. I was just all over that place. And it was a blast. Nice. Absolute blast. Man, that is wild. Um, but leading up to that, so I got to read Unsealed. So we've known each other since uh, January of 1997. I think that's, uh, that's when we classed up with uh, PTRR in yep. Bud. So, um, and you were a mineman. So you went to boot camp and then you went to, I, I don't remember really anybody's rates. Uh, I remember yours. I remember Happy's, uh, and I remember a couple of people's, but not, not many because you're not working in your rate for those listeners. Right, it's like right. MOS and military specialty. So back then they used to think that you'd go get this military specialty after boot camp for a few months, and then you'd fail out of buds and go to the fleet in that specialty. Right. You, I think you're the only mineman that I ever knew in the teams before they switched over to the actual SEAL special operator rating. I think I was the only one because we I went down to A school in Ingleside, Texas, and took the test, and I got on board a minesweeper. And I was so tall, I kept bumping my head. And then they're like, hey, here's your rack. Go ahead and pop in your rack. And I was a little sardine in there. And, and at that moment, I said, no matter what's on its way at Bud's, I will never, ever be on another ship voluntarily. No way. So as part of that, you actually, did you get underway or was this just kind of like a training? Whoa, 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 Jack, Jack. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. Like, I 
Oh, how many how many days of sea time do you have? Um, I don't know, but I got my shell back on the Germantown. What? Yes. Oh man, I think I have a full nine days out of twenty years of sea time. Um, so, I think that's what my last little LES said before they went to um, digital, oh, right? Not like that. I never looked at it ever again. You know, we yeah. used to physical ones and you could see it and then i never looked at i don't even know passwords like i have it, it's ridiculous yeah. uh but uh yeah i think i have nine days because they didn't count all the shipboarding we did after september 11th for some reason because it wasn't oh. like consecutive days or something you'd come back and then you go to the ship do your op and then sometimes you'd come back and not okay. stay the night. so you just like got a base off there and then so i don't think those counted so i think it was really from pre-september 11th when we spent a couple of days on oh gosh i forget the name of the ship but anyway i think it was nine days. but did you have actual so you had actual sea time yeah, so I was, we did a exercise on board a carrier, which was my first near-death experience. And then we, right after September 11th, we steamed down on the Germantown to Jakarta and whatever steaming days to and from. So I think I might have 30 days. 30? I think so, yeah. Impressive for a SEAL. Yeah. 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 That's, whew, that is salty. Salty. No, <laughs> Speaking of salty, I ran into him from our buds class uh, in the airport about a week ago, and he looks exactly the same as buds, exactly the same as team five. And uh, I never know where to, whether to use people's full names. So I don't know if they're contracting or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah, or whatever. But uh, so salty S we'll call him and uh, exactly the same. And remember, we used to call him salty because we thought yeah. he was so he came from like eight months in the fleet or something. Yeah, yeah. If you're this, man, I apologize. It was probably like a year or two. But we we're pretty much everybody's like the same age, but he looks older. He looks exactly the same. So that means he looks very young right now. And uh, <laughs> it was so awesome to see him just randomly in the in airport. I would have recognized him anywhere and uh, got big hugs and uh, and awesome dude. But um, yeah, 30 days of sea time. That's pretty serious. I saw the Ayatollah. Um, last name rhymes with Ayatollah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was down in Nashville and I just happened to text him. And and he said, Where are you right now? I was like, I'm in Nashville. He's like, I live in Nashville. So hopped in an Uber and went to the house and uh, had dinner. And it was uh same, exactly the same. Perfect. I heard he was out there. He's doing working, uh doing stuff with Tomahawk guys, I think. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. That's oh man, that's awesome. No, good, good memories, but 1997. So Mindman School was how long? How long did you have to do that? Was it, and did you pick it or did you just kind of, did they suggest it? Did you get volunteered? Well, so I was going to, you know, you, you have all the source ratings, right? But I didn't actually want to deploy. So it was one of the few that, that like, hey, just to, to sweeten the deal, mine men don't deploy. What? Is that yeah. true? I well, I mean, they didn't, well, it ended up not being true. So <laughs> I got down there and they said, oh, by the way, we're going to start deploying again. I was just like, oh yeah, we're not doing that. So, um, so I went to the A school. I think it was like September to December. Okay, so pretty long. Yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty good, pretty good long course. And yeah. then I, I knew I wasn't going to quit anyway. But I mean, yeah. it's solidified. You, you weren't mindman material, or at all, at all. I was anti-mindman. So um, <laughs> the boats are made out of wood, and it's just uh, God bless those guys who do it and do it for a career. But I just knew it wasn't for me. So. When we showed up in 97, uh, I was outside the pit. And remember, they sat us in the pit. What was the pit? Is that so? Medical? It was right outside of medical, those bleachers right outside of medical. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was me and Ryan. Okay. Ryan was the first one I met and uh, from Louisiana. And he's the slowest talker I'd ever seen in my life. 
<laughs> uh, that's a great guy, right? Yeah, he will call him because I once again, I think he, I think he's just getting out. I think because he stayed reserves, and we got in touch a little while ago. And then you know, when you hear guys like when we came in and guys had Vietnam experience, a lot of them had taken a little break sometime right. in like seventies or eighties and come back in a lot of those guys. Um, so I think he did something like that. I'm not positive, but we went to A school together. That was long too. I was yeah. Was uh, we went to intelligence training school together or training whatever, Namitsi, uh, damn neck Virginia, and that was from August I think to December, so it was a long one as well. So you were kind of salty yourself. You had been in the Navy for, you know, I did a lot of mopping right? the uh, the Naval Intelligence Training Center. In the mornings, I would mop the bottom floor. <laughs> then I would go to lunch and I'd come back and mop the top floor while I was waiting to class up. So I got pretty good at mopping. And uh, the bottom floor was enlisted. The top floor was the officer intelligence school, if I remember correctly. Okay, so you were swapping that. Huh? Yeah, me and Ryan and uh, OB will call him. And I know he's out there with a business down in, in Florida, but, I, but he still likes to be a little private. So I will just yeah. call him. Uh, awesome dudes. We had such a great time together. We, I mean, we had a really uh, great class and we were really tight. And I remember the first time I actually met you was week three. You know, it's just a scrum of humanity. In the first couple of weeks, 200 some people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we were getting ready to go on our, our four mile timed run. And you walk up and said, Hey, I'll uh, I'll see you at the end of this thing. I'll cheer you on at the end. I was just like, Who is this guy? Oh, I didn't. That's not oh, yes, you did. Because I, I mean, I was, I kind of talked a lot of smacking class. Uh, I was responding to something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and then I was rising to the occasion. Right. And I was like, I was like, Okay. I don't, I don't know who this guy is, but uh, okay. So you took off and I was like, who is this guy? And then at the end, it's like, yeah, he used to run cross country because you just absolutely smoked me. And I think you waved to me on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I wouldn't have done that. I don't think it was provocated, but. Uh... I, I probably, I was probably in charge of, of the provocation ops on that one. <laughs> So oh, man, that's one thing I had going for me in Buds was uh, the running. And I think a lot of it came from running hills, just growing up kind of in the, the hills and mountains and running hills. Um, I think that really helped. Swimming, not so much. Swimming, I felt like I was an okay swimmer. And then this combat side stroke, and remember when we did it, they didn't teach you. They just threw oh. you. Yeah, now yeah. they teach now they teach them this stroke and they teach them all the technique and all that stuff. And yeah, us, they did not teach at all. They maybe said something like uh, just kind of turn on your side, do a little flutter kick with your feet and stay underwater, bring your head up, do a side stroke with your upper body. Good luck. Uh, and don't suck. Yeah. That was rough. I that was it. So, but, uh, yeah. But how did, and, and uh, so that, that was the first time you met me. That's crazy. I don't remember. I, I had seen you, but there were so many of us, like 160 to 180 of us. Okay. And you don't get to know anybody, really. You just kind of, your boat crew and then just everybody else. And then the class started to whittle down and and here you and I stood face to face and I was probably, I was talking smack and you were like, yeah, I'll see you at the end. I was like, <laughs> oh man. Well, I wouldn't have said that probably at that stage for the O course, although I did get really good at it after we learned the technique. I remember the first time on the O course um and i remember instructor i once again we'll say last name g huge guy oh and, yeah i'm talking about and uh so coming down that uh slide for life at mm -hmm. the end reaching up like week one you know first time just reaching out and i was on it he reaches up as i'm getting close and he grabs me by the t-shirt and just pulls me down his body slams me into the stand <laughs> you know um but uh very quickly you learn the technique for that thing so i event you know I, very quickly i got fast at that but uh but the swims were man those were tough myself and 
Jason Lewis were uh, um, we were swim buddies, and we got together week two. So Jason could swim fast, but he was all over the place. And yeah, for I, some reason, yeah. But Jack, for some reason, I could look down at that palm tree, and I could swim a straight line for a mile. So Jason is doing this, right? And I'm just swimming straight. So I'm guiding and he's pacing. So together we made one good swimmer. Um, and we just stayed together for, for all three phases. But uh, I was not knocking it out of the water swimming either. But yeah, I didn't realize you were with Jason the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh man, who, who uh, sadly passed away in uh, Iraq. And I saw him right before he deployed. I, I think I was getting ready to, because um, what year was that? Uh, I want to say that it was, uh, and everything's kind of conflated in my mind, 2007. Is that right? Okay, because I saw him right before I went to MPS, Naval Postgraduate School. And I was like, dude, we got to get back together and catch up. He's like, oh, I'll be back after this deployment. I'll be back in Virginia. And, um, you know, unfortunately, um, he never came back and just a heart heartbroken because, you know, you spent hours, thousands of hours with that swim buddy and, you know, um, and then you reconnect and he looked great and he had, he had taken some time off and was coming back in and, uh, he was just excited to be back in. And, um, and then he, he left and I got the news and just, um, one of those heartbreaking moments. Yeah, of many that we've we've endured over the years. Yeah, and we'll talk about another one a little bit later. Um, actually, that well, anyway, what? But uh, yeah, that's a, you were with him the whole time. That's unusual. So I had a swim buddy, different swim buddies in PTRR, and then once we got to first phase, though, um, I think I can say last name. I can say Kylan. I think anyway. Uh huh. Yeah, I was with him the whole time. So <laughs> after that, once we paired up together, then. Yeah. We the whole time and uh gosh i was so lucky to have him as a as a swim buddy um he because he could guide and uh so i essentially would just kick i was not good at guiding um they tell you to line two things up on the shore so i don't know yeah. how you're one palm tree but you're trying to like line two things up and for people listening or watching um it's uh what is it uh, how many nautical mile ocean swim two nautical mile two nautical miles yeah um but you can make that three nautical miles by doing this by easy yeah. easy uh, so I think I swam, but none of my two nautical mile ocean swims were actually two nautical miles. I think I was definitely putting in some three uh, nautical mile swims early on, maybe even four, uh, until I got paired up with Kylan and that he was uh, really good at guiding. And yeah. uh, we switched off a couple times, but we very quickly would switch back to to, to him uh, doing that. That's a, my, if memory serves anyway. So I was with him for almost all of Buds once we once we uh, linked up together. Yeah. So. And Jason and I, same way, we got together, switched out swim buddies for the first couple of weeks of first phase, and then two people were left, and we kind of looked at each other like, are we doing this? And it's like, yeah. And we were a great match. And I would run into the safety boat. That's how, I mean, that's how straight I could swim. They did that on purpose, though. They would No, they didn't. I was that good. <laughs> I mean, but did you ever run into the kayaks, though? Or do they let you go? So No, I ran to the buoy. Oh, the buoy. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Buoy. Gotcha. Like the, the, I was talking about safety kayaks because the safety kayaks, those guys, you're going along and you're like, 
and you're feeling good and you're like, oh, I'm, this is a good one right here. And then all of a sudden your head bunk into some yellow kayak because they paddled in your way just to mess with you. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, gosh. So they did that quite frequently. I remember us hitting, hitting those guys, um, you know, uh, most every swim. Anyway, you bash your head in, you pick your head up, they laugh at you, and then you got to kind of get going again because you've, now you've lost that momentum. That momentum, yeah, yeah. Can't really get away with doing that on a run, you know, like pushing you over on a time run, but they can just paddle those safety kayaks right in front of you. And just a little bit. Yep, yep. So, yeah. but, I mean, I had, it was a great, it was a great experience. And um, I, I learned a lot about teamwork and camaraderie and, just when when the guys who survived Hell Week, you know, those were your lifelong your lifelong buddies because um, whittled out whittled, whittled them out, and then we got lucky and all went to team. So many of us went to team five, and just continued, and it was just an awesome, um, an awesome experience. Yeah, we did have a great crew. Um, and you started and did you start first phase? in boat crew one or Hell Week in boat crew one or both? No, uh, started first phase six two. Um, I was part of the six two crew, so it was me, Tim, Mikey, um, Aldwin, Alford. Um, I think Tucker was in there, but um, and I don't know how I remember all these names. And Shuck, I think Shuck. That's yeah, I about earlier. Yeah, so I think that rounded out the crew. So we stayed together all the way up until Hell Week, and then Alford and um, one of the other guys, Baldwin. First two, first two gone. Surprising, right? Yeah. I mean, that was the biggest surprise. So the thing was, they were both on my arm. One on one side, right. one on the other. Yeah. Like, it must have been like 45 minutes in, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I joined you very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's because <laughs> you guys quit. Right yeah. away. And yeah. one of them had been there. Both of them had been there in previous classes, right? Yeah. Baldwin had gone pretty deep with... 210 but had to start all over again yeah. with our class and then just that cold i mean great great dude i just the cold it was i think it just got to him he, he'd had enough yeah and uh and since you brought him up uh alfred was pretty loud and i remember seeing him he was big i remember big yeah. he was strong like i remember showing up and thinking oh my goodness you have to be this big to make it through this program like this guy yeah. like a monster yeah. Uh, and then yeah 45 minutes in i think both of them were gone i think by that point i was in two i think i started because i'm six foot um and i think i started in boat crew three we had some big boys in the larger class before it got mm -hmm. so i think i started in three started hell week in two because people were quitting up until hell week and then 45 minutes into hell week i was in one with you and yeah. there the whole rest of the time in uh in boat crew one and uh boat crew one that's the deal i think i like being boat crew one yeah yeah it was a good good group of guys big strong guys and um i mean i think in general meaning some of those big monster instructors like they they like boat crew one i think yeah i think the smurf crew that's not the place to be <laughs> the smurf boat crew i think that's just i mean for whatever reason you just i mean you're running like twice as far as everybody else first everybody off. else yeah, yeah. Um, and, but i think you just take a little more heat i want to say i think yeah, it's not I mean, yeah, I mean, Bud's is a strength course, and the the structures love these big, strong dudes who yeah. who just run run the show. And uh, we you had, just perform, but when you win a race, when you're yeah. racing the whole week, so when you win something and get to sit down for your two minutes or whatever they give you, uh, yeah, then I I they like it. You could tell that when Boat Crew One wins something, they're like, "That's right." You know, 
I got that sense anyway. I might, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, or might change my class. Who knows? But that was that was my sense. But uh, what are your memories of uh, us in Hell Week? Because I because I don't remember boot camp at all. I don't remember OCS at all because they're pretty much the exactly the same thing. Right. Um, I put that in the part of my memory that was just a waste. Um, so I don't remember them at all. Uh, and anybody wondering, you're just getting yelled at by Marines at Officer Candidate School, and you're getting yelled at by Navy people at uh, at boot camp. But yeah, yell that you're still making your bed, folding t-shirts and underwear, and you know that's that sort of skinny, fat, fat, skinny. Attention to detail. Attention to detail. <laughs> um, so yeah. Hell Week, I remember that um, we didn't have a breakout. They just said. You know, start rock porters. So we're waiting for the the extravaganza that you see on TV and movies and stuff. And they just like, okay, just show up. And Deatley was our proctor, who I think beat us more than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. They were not. They did not like us. No. And um, two two partic two individuals in particular they didn't like. Oh yeah. <clears throat> we got the brunt of it. Happened to be the class leaders, right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that a lot. And then. Um, oh my gosh. We just started and then it was game on and I was just a nervous wreck. You know, <laughs> starting off. And I don't remember you being nervous. I just remember us going through, you know, linking arms, going into the surf and and I don't remember you being nervous though. Well, so, I mean, I, internally I was like, this is it. And, you know, this is the crucible. So my my NSW career starts or ends with this. And I, and I never thought I was going to quit. I just was like, I've never stayed up for a week before. And um, I remember them putting us down to sleep for the first time on Tuesday, Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? I talked to Salty, and we're 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 going we're going back and forth. Wednesday. So I said Wednesday, and I thought it was Wednesday. Wednesday. So I go to sleep, and I remember being hypothermic and jackhammering, right? And then finally settling down from the jackhammer. Then it's like, man, I gotta go pee, and then hit the surf start shivering again so this vicious cycle of shivering peeing going out to pee and then coming back and just being miserable so i finally stopped shivering i finally stopped peeing and i finally fell asleep and then shift change happened and like get yeah, everybody up and i was locked in the fetal position and you and thompson grabbed me up and took me out to the surf in the fetal position and <laughs> Unceremoniously, just dumped me in the water. <laughs> I do not remember that, but uh, it sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. And then I said, I'm never sleeping again. So when they put us down the night after, I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'll just, I just stayed awake. Did you? And, yeah. That's tough because some people fall asleep right away. So people listening, Wednesday, so you've been up since Sunday morning, mm -hmm. get two hours. Not of sleep necessarily, because if you go to sleep right away, and it's not like you're going back to your barracks, you're in this tent on the beach with each tent probably has 20 guys in it or something like that. Oh, awful. It's disgusting. I mean, because you have this sick, nasty sweat, breath, everything else, there's no ventilation, and it turns into this just humid mess of who knows what. Uh, I mean, uh, like patient zero type stuff, like it is nasty. Uh, and then, so you can close your eyes right away and go right into like REM sleep. But it feels like if you got those two hours, then they come in and start yelling and do whatever they're doing and put you right in the surf zone. It feels like you got zero. It, it's, right. the, it's the worst part. It would be better, I think, to just not sleep. Yeah. Uh, some people go to medical, get checked out, and then they come back an hour later. So maybe they get an hour or half an hour. And some guys like you, they don't sleep at all, uh, just anticipating the wake up. So it's really yeah. interesting to get sleep and who doesn't in that Wednesday, Thursday timeframe. 
And then we, on Thursday, we're doing around the world and we were not doing well. And the Smurfs were beating us in Gecko was really? like, he's like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So he said, if you guys get to go to, if you guys win this, you guys get to go to sleep. So then we're just like, okay, that makes sense. So we're, we're going through the surf. And I remember I started hallucinating and there was this brick wall out there. I was like, that's so weird. There's a brick wall. wall yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, wow, that's weird. There's a brick wall out here. Didn't think anything of it. And big, big Tim grabs his oar and just launches it and said, everybody drop your oars or snakes. <laughs> I don't remember that. I feel like I should. And then a little bit later, I see a chain link fence out in the middle of the ocean and thought again, I was like, chain link fences out here that's so weird but it was actually a wave and then it just dumped because we had drifted too far into the surf and dumped us all in the water and then um we're like enough so we end up winning around the world and um i took a heat injury early on so getka said on thursday or on no no this is in ptrr okay. so i took a heat injury and get goes like every time i see you you're gonna be hydrated inside now which means dump your canteen, drink your canteen, and go get wet. So we're finishing up um, around the world when we win. And Gekka's, I hear, green! And me and Tim Thompson are already snuggled up, right? And and they yell, green, get out here. And I knew it was Gekka, and I knew it was coming. So I run up there, and uh, he's like, go get wet. And it was a Return of the Jedi moment where I'm looking at the water, looking at Gekka, water one more time and said, absolutely not. And then I threw a fit, stomping my feet. You told me that we get to sleep and God damn it, I'm going to sleep. So Leif comes over and said, what in the hell is going on over here? And Mike said, hey, he's not, he's not going to get wet. He told me he's not getting wet. So I told Leif the story again, throw it through another fit. And he looks at Mike and said, well, Mike, is that what you told him? He's like, yeah, chief, that's what I told him. He's like, well, we'll keep our word around here. Green, go get, go to sleep. And I yelled to Tim, I was like, Timmy, I'm on my way back. And that was the, he was six foot four, 240 pounds of just heat. And we were too, we were snuggled up. <laughs> no way. Yeah, for the rest of the time. So we got to sleep until the last Poku came in. Did I too? Was I there too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dang. All I remember about around the world, I remember, I remember the brick wall. I saw a warehouse and I saw Poseidon <laughs> coming up out of the out of the water. I don't remember the snakes, but I do remember the class either ahead or the ones that were in that uh, medical or whatever, um, swimming out and giving us candy in Ziploc bags. Yes. Yes. Uh, yep. I remember chowing down on some candy out yep. there. Why we got behind is probably because we got this bag of candy and we started. Yep. So I do remember that Thursday night. Um, and gosh, I remember the earlier days. I remember the uh, steel pier. I remember everybody quitting the first few hours um, and then just staying, staying moving, fun and games in the, in the pool. Uh, all that's just keeping you awake, doing all that stuff. So I, um, but I remember, yeah, I remember we had a solid, solid crew. Yeah. And um, instructor John, remember if you fell asleep, you'd have to eat a jalapeno. Oh, yeah. I don't think they're allowed to do that anymore. Oh, they're not? Okay. Uh, if anybody's watching, they didn't do that. They're not allowed to do anymore, I don't think. 
So I remember we're in the in the chow hall and I'm thinking, it's like, okay, I'm tired, but don't fall asleep because you don't want that jalapeno. And mm-hmm. and somehow I fell asleep and I don't even know for how long, but all of a sudden I, I realized I was asleep, pop my head open, my eyes open, and there's John with a big jalapeno just right in front of my face. <laughs> I was like, did you eat it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man. Let's well, uh get in a photo not too long ago. John Doolittle, and we can say his name. He's out there. He has a, a, a great company and uh awesome dude. So John Doolittle uh was hanging out with him not too long ago and sent me. Uh, yeah, Mike's a good dude, man. He's tough as nails, but just a just a genuinely good dude. So tough. So tough. All those guys that was fantastic. Man. And so then we went uh so Hell Week secured from Hell Week. Awesome. Um, and then you stayed on with 212 all the way, right? Yeah. My- yeah. And pool comp, no issues. Pool comp is the next phase. So, I mean, I, I got it on my third try. That's, um, that's still yeah. pretty much no problem. Yeah. 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 So, four tries or something? yeah. You get four tries. And, you know, I, I missed my first two. The first one, I had gotten all the way to the end and I thought I had the whammy knot. So I just like crushed it. So I go up to the top and uh, one of the instructors like, hey, take a, take a breath on your regulator. And he had only tied up the exhalation knot. So that was a fail and that kind of threw me off my game and I didn't do well the second one, but uh, finished the third one. And then it was, uh, it was good to go after that. But right. losing you guys, cause you left right after, was it after Hell Week? I think it was, so we got Walk Week after that to kind of heal mm-hmm. up. So you're walking and you get tennis shoes instead of boots. Yep. Uh, for that, that next week as you kind of heal up and then we started again and then i had some leg issue and i could i still made it through the runs like still just limping but i was still mm-hmm. fairly fast but it was still was painful but that's fine and then but the swim got in the swim and started mm-hmm. going whatever my my leg my foot wouldn't whatever whatever that's called whatever that anyway, i couldn't i couldn't kick and so uh-huh. That big instructor who pulled me off the uh, slide for life came up in the boat in the uh, in the zodiac and was like, "Let's." And I, because I, I got a medical during walk week for it, and they mm. gave me like a no, like you can't swim shit or you can't run shit. But I was still running. Yeah. I didn't show the instructor, so I got the shit. But I didn't want to remember. You're so afraid of getting booted for a medical that you're yeah. like scared to death of like something happening and you're not making it through for medical. So I was like. I'm not showing him. I'm going to keep going on this, even though I'm not supposed to be doing anything. And he's like, why? What's like, he was like, what's going on here? And he picked me up out of the water and slammed me into the Zodiac and, uh, and was like, what's going on? I'm like, oh yeah, got this shit. I'm not supposed to be out here. And he's like, what? And so I was zoomed in. And so anyway, that was a, that was a roll. And uh, so I rolled to 213 and then went with, finished up with them. And it was no problem. I healed up, you know, in those couple of weeks uh, in between classes. And it was no problem from then on, then on out. But, um, but yeah, pool comp, I was looking forward to pool comp. Cause I remember the only time you get to put like, it's you against that instructor. Usually you're just getting yelled at and getting, yeah. it's just awful. Um, but the only times you get to like go mono a mono with an instructor is first phase doing uh, drown proofing, life saving, not tying, yep. and essentially the underwater swim because you, it's like you like okay I'm gonna do this um, especially the life the life saving when you go out there and have to pull somebody back and yeah. uh, I started I did jujitsu kind of early like before MMA and all the, and, and UFC and all that stuff and so I was kind of thinking about that especially when the big instructor takes you to the bottom and I would just relax. You know, do that. But I was like, oh, this is me against you. I have my hands now on an instructor. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, you have to bounce the bottom, but they're exerting energy. And right now I'm just like, just like in jujitsu when you're, you know, kind of a, when another person doesn't really know what they're doing and you're, you're wrestling or you're rolling, um, they're expending their energy and you're kind of just doing your thing. And so that's what I was doing there. And so I loved it. I loved those. And I love pool comp because I thought that was the same thing, even though you're not like fighting an instructor, you essentially are because they're diving down and they're doing all these things to you. Yeah. Open up tying up your your hose your regulator pulling that out of your mouth and hitting you in the stomach so you like expend your air and all that stuff so i like that because it was like all right bring it you know yeah yeah in the in the water anyway so i was i i really liked that part but uh yeah but a lot of people get held up like that other than hell week pool comp is the is the next thing and then essentially from that point on if you continue to improve and not uh fail multiple timed events in a row and are fairly safe with explosives and firearms in third phase like you're gonna make it uh yeah so um so yeah and it was just you know we were hated first phase kind of hated in second phase and third phase like you guys are great so I and we lost more people. We lost more people after Hell Week than any other class, and they had to go hands off because they're like, we can't have guys who made it through Hell Week quit during uh, Hydro Recon mm-hmm. and getting less sleep than they did in Hell Week. So um, they they came in and said, all right, hands off these guys. Um, and then but we had been beaten so much in the first two phases that by third phase they re- literally couldn't hurt us. So they're like, all right, these guys are good, and we had a great attitude and. Um, uh we just we just did the thing but you know i always checked in on you and mikey and obi um because you guys are two twelve guys so um yeah. Yeah, we all team five together it was awesome that was cool so you get to you get to team five uh obviously you get there two or three months before we do because we're the next class following up um but we ended up in sister platoon so what what, what happened uh there i forgot did so you, did we, you had, I, I forgot uh, how that because we did SQT together also, right? Yeah. So um, we were, wife and I were going to have a baby, right? And she tested high for birth defects. So the command's like, okay, we're pulling you right now. Make sure your kid's okay. Um, and then that set me back That set me back to your guys' timeline. Uh, daughter ended up being fine and is now 25 and lives in Paris and just got married and you know wow. crushing it but that that's what set me back and then we all just showed up at um team five sqt and then charlie in india and just crushed it yeah man that's why yeah team five was a good time back then we had a yeah. september 11th time frame for those watching or listening um so we're we're new guys go through seal qualification training get those tridents pounded in do you remember our trident review board like oh. that was serious yeah that master chief but like, that's no joke Ambo. yeah that's it yeah crazy that was that was quite difficult <laughs> i think it's probably the hardest test i had and i think they just threw the hardest stuff at us and and when we didn't pass they're just like yeah you guys suck and they didn't really have any rhyme or reason and some guys passed who shouldn't have and some guys failed and so um so yeah, I went, I had to do the dive chart. I was on my last chance to do the dive chart. Um, and then I passed that and then we all got our tridents, but Murph was my LPO. And uh, he, he he made sure that he uh, drove that trident home. Oh yeah. I was surprised at how the guys I, that I thought were gonna hit that 
pound that thing in super hard, it didn't yeah. really feel as hard. And the guys, like the littler guys, uh -huh. anyway, that uh, that I thought would be like, oh, that'd be deal. Oh my goodness, those guys, that hurt, you know. And some guys just came up and went, you know, boom, hey, congratulations. And then some guys. Yeah. After it, um, but uh, up against the Connex boxes, and you know, but but it was what a great day. You don't even feel it, you know. You're so right, proud. right. You're just you're just yeah. happy to have your trident finally. Oh man! After that, uh, yeah, I like that way. I kind of think that's a cool way to do it. You know, now it's more professional, and now there's a more of a system in place, and every team doesn't do it a little bit differently, like when we went through. But there was something about being on probation with your platoon and getting that nod from people that at the time, even pre September 11th, that you thought you could go into combat with so getting the nod from them at that tactical level not looking at it from an instructor level down or whatever else or passing a test here or there but from your peers to your right and left you're gonna essentially be on that front line with or be behind the lines with being that foxhole with those guys giving you the nod there's something really cool about that yeah i mean you got to know the members of your team and the guys who had who had been there before and to get their nod of approval saying okay i'm willing to work with this guy he's earned he's earned it and uh, it was more, it seemed more pride as opposed to now where it's like, okay, you finish SQT, here you go. Like you really had to earn it and you had to, you're on your toes and you had to know your job and you, um, those guys weren't going to sign off on you if you, if you didn't make the cut. And um, I, I agree. I thought, I thought that was a much better way of doing it. And um, you just learned a lot. Yeah. And then also if you're, preparing yourself ahead of time back then and you're reading everything you possibly can on the SEAL teams, uh, part of that reading that you're doing talks about being on probation with your platoon. And so that's yep. kind of, it's like, oh, this is very close. This is part of the process. This is kind of part of this uh, this crucible, if you look at it, other than how we, you know, this longer type of a, a crucible and acceptance into the tribe type of a thing. Um, that was really, that was really cool and meaningful I thought but um but we went sister platoons so we're so for people listening back then you had uh you that means we'd go through a workup together and then on deployment we'd go different places but we're together for an entire workup cycle so for 18 months or whatever it whatever it was um uh and and then we went to different places on that deployment but uh we went to Okinawa and you guys went to Guam right 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 yeah, you guys are down there and do some training trips pre-September 11th type thing. You're always ready to ready to go. Your job is to be prepared for war, not go to war. So we're prepared and best we can. And you think you're going to get into it. We're hearing about some things maybe happening in Bosnia. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe at one shipboarding, if you do like one shipboarding on a on a deployment, that was a big deal back right. then. Um, and then we came home, and that's 2000. And uh, and then I got married, and then free fall. Um, Mikey's free fall. Were you in that class too? I, I was on my honeymoon. So he went to free fall and I went to get married. So I took leave. Um, oh, we did right. sniper, school, cool. sniper school first. Yep. And, and then, so he rolled right into this new free fall thing, which wasn't mm -hmm. one that I would eventually go to that most people had gone to up until that point, which is the army. Right. From Arizona. Um, so this was a, uh, it's a contracted private, one and kind of they were i think it was one of the first iterations of doing it i believe i'm not positive yeah but i remember last time i saw him i come back so i did we did sniper school and then i took a month of leave got married went on honeymoon came back and i remember driving in and i remember them jump getting in the van to drive off so i'm pulling into the parking lot they have the you know the, the government vans um yeah. to go and they're the guys that are going to do that course or are, are getting in 
and uh and then i you know said said bye and that's the last time i last time i saw him i saw him so the wives were close and uh holden was young and riley was young so we spent a lot of time together and he came over to my house that sunday because he had missed because he had missed a couple of days um of the safety stuff and he wasn't supposed to go but he ended up going and he and I just kind of had a heart to heart. He's just like, Mark, I'm so tired, dude. Um, it's been going nonstop. He's like, I'm kind of thinking about not going. And I remember saying, it's like, well, dude, just don't go. You're, you're, you're the golden child. You get, you, you know, a billet comes up, a beard, and you, you want to go. And, you know, just that's just not who Mike was. So he said, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and go. And, um, and I'll see you. We'll hang out again. I'll tell you all about it on Friday when I come home and he had passed away and our XO at the time pulled everybody out of the grinder and let us know what happened. And, um, he said, Hey, Mark, I got a job for you. And he said, um, you need to go pick up his wife and his kid and take him home. And my chief at the time was, he said, no, no, I'll do it. And XO was like, is that something that would normally happen? And he's like, no, he's like, Mark and the family are, it's, it's a, it would be a normal thing for Mark to go pick her up. So I pick her up and she's, yeah, she's at Balboa. Yep. So for some reason she had to go with, um, with the baby for something and the car broke down and, um, I picked her up and took her home and it was the worst experience because obviously I knew Mikey had passed and she had no idea. And we're just, she's telling me about what they're going to do over the weekend. Just absolutely awful. So I dropped her off, come back to the team, and then they ceremoniously have to do it the right way. Chaplain, CO, XO, and Master Chief dressed up. And I remember they showed up at the, at her house and her saying, what are you guys doing here all dressed up? And then it hit her. And, you know, everybody comes to the house and what was the heartbreaking thing for me is when I walked in the door and she realized that I had known the, the one I picked her up and you know Jack to this day I don't I, I, I don't know if I'll ever re fully recover from that because the look she gave me was like how could you do this to me and um heartbroken and I was like and I, just, I I could not say sorry enough and um later on she understood that it had to be done that way but I'm still stuck on that that walking through the door and seeing her face and us locking eyes and her eyes said absolutely everything and that was 24 years wow this two that yeah 24 years ago it's like it's like um like it happened yesterday and that was the hardest part to write in the book yeah it's the hardest yeah. part to write in the book for mm -hmm. me when i read it and i got to that part and i was like oh man yeah it was tough to tough to read i mean it feels like yesterday to me mm -hmm. and uh so i for some reason i think that was like the, that once again i was just back from leave so I drove home for a lunch. I, mean, I drove home for lunch, had some lunch, 
drove back. And remember how you could just drive on base? There was no guards. Right, right, yeah. So I drive in to base just through that little empty guard shack thing. And I yeah. park there um, because it's the easier, I guess, the closest. It was a parking spot. So I pulled in. And once again, another open gate right into Team 5. Always right. open. Yeah. So I, I park, hop out, and go in front through the quarter deck. And I see uh, Jason Lewis, who we talked mm -hmm. about, and Andy Stumpf. And uh, they were, they'd come out of the quarter deck and they're walking to their car. And I was like, they don't look, something looks off. Mm -hmm. Guys, what's up? Uh, and they both turned to me and they're like, and they could tell I didn't know. Yeah. And so they both walked over and, and told me. And then I walked in and you know, things went from, went from there and then went over to their house a few hours later and spent a lot of time there within mm -hmm. the next few days. And, all that. So um, I did write Mikey's son a letter because I called my dad that day and his dad was killed in World War II. So he did never met his father. He was mm -hmm. born away. He was a fighter pilot, Corsair Marine pilot. Um, and he always wished that he had a letter from somebody in his father's squadron who had sat down and said, hey, this is who your dad was. Because back then, there, you know, there's no Facebook, there's no Instagram. Right email there's no reunions how would you find out about this group of people who are in the same squadron and maybe still get together every year somewhere like there was no way for uh obviously he's one years old then but um they say at age 10 age 15 age 20 to try to track somebody down um that was in your dad's squadron so he's like i think it would be a uh, a good thing if you wrote a letter just Mm -hmm. ideas. I wrote a letter all about uh, our relationship and who his dad was and everything about being together in Hell Week and all through Buds and this and this team, this experience. And so I wrote it out, just uh, didn't type it. I wrote it. Um, and then I gave it to, uh, to Dorinda. And I, don't, you know, I don't know if he ever got it or not. You know, it was just to hold on to like for one day, if he ever asks. Mm -hmm. this so, yeah, that's and, you know, I, I had a similar experience. Um, with uh, Kelsall, you remember Jonas? And after, you know, the um, the incident back then, we were at a retirement ceremony and they had mentioned that his parents were there. So I, at the end of it, I introduced myself and I was like, I told him a story about, um, I was having a really tough day in first phase. And normally I was pretty jovial and stuff, but Jonas looked at me and said, Hey, dude, are you all right? I was like, Jonas, I am hurting today. He's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. 18-year-old kid. I was 25. He's like, here's what we're going to do. You're going to run behind me. I'm going to run in a way that packs down the sand just a little bit more. Don't look up. Just look at my feet and just run in my footsteps. So I did that for our, 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 our run. And, you know, he was always just mischievous. And you could hear him and Flynn just giggling about something constantly. So... I met his mom and dad and I thought about, I was like, what would I want to do if I met somebody who knew my son? So I just sat down with them and told them two hours of stories about their son, you know, and, and his dad at the end of it thanked me. He's like, thank you. It just, it was just great to hear about my son. And I told him about that mischievous laugh he had and just both his parents just lit up because, you know, they, they knew that laugh well. And um, I was, I was really happy to get that moment with him. I wish I would have written it down, but uh, 
tell the parents about their son and the impact that their son had and how great of a young man he was. Um, I think that is, I want to say, one of the best things I've I've done in the, in the teams. It was just say, hey, here's your here's. You may not know about this about your son, and um, if you got some time, I'd love to tell you every story I know about him. And um, it was it was it was great. So, oh man, and Jonas and Flynn no longer with us. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. So you know, in that in that show, Seal Team CBS, they talk about having numbers in your phone, and I still have all you know all those guys' numbers in the phone. And sometimes when I'm typing, like looking for somebody else in contacts or whatever. Yeah. I've been like the first couple letters or the first numbers and then those numbers still yeah. have, you know, lots of them, you know, it's just what we all do. I think, I think most people are to keep those numbers in their phone. It just seems weird to, you know, delete them. Or whatever. Yeah. It seems like that's, that's, that's the one piece we still have of them. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Man, that was, that was tough. That was like our first military experience. Yeah. With, with Losing that. somebody. Yeah. Someone who's super, close honestly. right um and salty close with two and what does the military do and in their infinite wisdom what does the team do they send me and salty to free fall school the next week <laughs> the yeah. next week the next well we you know go through that week of yeah yeah and the whole so we went so we did the memorial in coronado yeah we went to uh to texas for the mm -hmm. for the funeral so we did that yeah we went from there to free fall oh we didn't come back. We went directly from the next day, maybe even that night. I can't even can't remember. Salty will remember. Um, yeah. What was I'm, that like jumping out though? Because I'll tell great. you mine. It was not great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like so both of us were, you know, we're all part of this crew, you know, me, you, Salty, uh, Ryan, uh, Obi, you know, all of us were just so tight. Uh, and then they sent us to free fall. And now looking back, I'm like, okay, got it. You know, great. I didn't get to stew on it at the time. I'm like, what? And so we went to um, uh, North Carolina first. Went to Bragg because that's where they had the only, one of the only wind tunnels, I guess, at the time. Um, yeah. so we get the wind tunnel there, and of course, I'm all over the place. The wind tunnel. It's like what do they call it? Dirty air and whatever you're in there. You're just going <laughs> yeah. inside. I'm like, oh my lord. Um, but it was cool being in on, uh, in North Carolina and being at Bragg. Haven't heard of it. No, you know all the movies growing up and all the books. Right, right. And, and so it was really cool to to be there. I really enjoyed being there. Uh, but then, yeah, then off we go to to Yuma, out to Yuma, and uh, yeah, it. I don't think the jumping. So the jumping wasn't because you're in that. You're going, you're, right? You're, you're you're going out that with the plane. Um, for me, it was mostly the packing because you're learning to pack, and you're, as I'm packing the chute, you have some time right and through everything. So that part not great um but jumping out you know i was i was comfortable it was different than being in the wind tunnel so i was pretty comfortable in the air even after even in my first jumps you know, you're a little you're wobbly and you're a little trashy on that first jumper maybe but um i didn't have any problems um, with anything any points of performance or anything like that um but then final jump two guys die what night combat equipment oxygen and an instructor and a student hit each other hit heads. I remember that. And uh, so we're on the ground and we have to find the bodies. So uh -huh. this was, you know, four weeks after, you know. But uh, anyway, so we have to do that. And then they have a safety stand down. It's because we're still one jump away from graduating. 
that's the full night combat equipment whole mm -hmm. thing go i think it was i think that was it one or two more to go um but we have to do the safety stand down while they do the investigation so now we're just waiting so we're just sitting there stewing waiting to go do this after we and we had the memorial for the guys on at, at yuma we did a yeah. ceremony everything for them there and then we uh had to wait investigation was over i think it only was maybe a week and a half or it seems like 10 days two weeks maybe something like that but uh then we did did our last our final jump maybe our final two and that was it so yeah yeah years later i was uh i was an officer and i do my uh oic at boat team 20 and it was a part of mcads and we had to go and i had put i had put off free fall for years and they're like, hey, Mark, you're the OIC of an MCADS that guess where you're going? I was like, I'm not going free fall. And I know for damn sure that's not what I'm doing. And so I went to free fall and it was the same course. They had fixed it, but so it was a contracted course. course. It was not. Yeah. The Army. Yeah. So, Jack, the first time I jumped out, I was like, well, this is it. Because um, the last thing that kept me from going to free fall was just the memory of losing my best friend. And um, so I, I, I jumped out and the first time, like I didn't pass the first course because I just, we didn't have a wind tunnel. They just said, show up and don't suck. Mm -hmm. And um, so failed the first first time, went back out two weeks later, did the tunnel stuff and then it was, it was fine. So, um, but each time, all the jumps I did, I still, every time packed my shoe, like you said, um this could be the last one. Mm-hmm. How about doing um, static lines? Did you have to do static lines over the years, though? <laughs> Log darting, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, those once again, you're going. I mean, you're in the thing. It's <laughs> night or day, whatever. You're hooked up, and out you go, just like in uh, World War II. Not much difference. Um, oh, awful. And and, uh, and and doing it. And people get injured doing that all the time. I mean, just uh, you know, landing on and la oh, gosh. Uh, Kevin Kent, man, Kevin, who I saw that day at uh, our friend Matt H. I'll call him Matt H. Because I don't know if he's going to do some contracting or, or not. But uh, fantastic, amazing guy. Like my, my troop chief uh, at the end of my time in the teams. And he uh, retired last May. So I got to see Kevin out there. And man, he oh, he came down uh, at night. At uh, We were together jumping into Fort Lewis, our first platoon. So when we were sister. Oh, I remember that. Came down and like, I think his, he went into a pothole. So coming like his one leg hit went into like this hole, but his body kept moving. You're coming down pretty good, especially at night. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
And it was, I remember it being cold and windy and all, and doosh, and just like snapped something in his knee. Then I like going the wrong direction, like not great. So yeah. Um, on that same jump. No, no, we were jumping at Pendleton. And um, I think we were practicing for Fort Lewis FTX or something like that. So we land and we store all our gear, right? And then I put my knee down, you know, we're, we're circling up and all that. And then I'm like, man, this is a really soft spot. Um, not a nice soft spot. 20 minutes later, you know, we get the rally and we're going to start pushing. And I'm like, I wonder why this soft spot was so soft. Well, I stand up and I had sat on a curled up rattlesnake. Oh sat, my. Yeah, it sat, I sat on the rattlesnake's head and it was cold out and he couldn't move. And uh, that's, that was my soft spot. So as I get up, it's resetting its jaw. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this uh, near death experience stuff. And it was a big one. It was a big one. When was this? I think it was Joe was our OIC, so it had to be our second platoon. That's insane. Yeah, sat right on, and then I told the instructor staff, I was like, hey, check out what I was just sitting on for the last 30 minutes. And like a bunch of little kids that run over and they start beating with a stick and stuff. But yeah, it was, it was uh, <laughs> I sat right on a coiled up rattlesnake. My Lord, I remember I, I crawled up on one at uh, sniper school and uh at nyland and so i crawl doing the low crawl thing or doing stocking and i remember like looking over not very far away and there was a rattlesnake but i remember it was on a rock and it was almost the exact same color as that rock there was like a either some of those rocks had like a pinkish tint to yeah. them so yep. this rattlesnake stands out to me to this to this day and i just kind of yeah backed up a little bit and and kept going but uh yeah yeah no no joke right there um so where were you on september 11th you were deployed. We were in Okinawa, and we were in the barracks, and we had, I think it was in the evening. The, um, yeah, and we're we're all in Salty's room, and TV's on, and we see the uh, tower number one, or first tower, was on fire. And we're like, not a whole lot of information, it was just the, the tower was on fire. And then we see the plane hit the second one, and then the phone started ringing. And we're just like, yeah, we just got hit, terrorist attack, didn't know any information, but they said, um, stand by. And we were with the battle group, so we packed up all our stuff, got on the USS Germantown, and the full battle group, Marines, amphibious aircraft, all our amphibious ships, and we just started steaming south through Jakarta because the embassy down there was starting to get overrun. So uh, that was going to be the first op. So we were prepping for uh, doing MEO um, at the embassy in Jakarta. And it was mayhem. Like, I mean, the, the logistically speaking, just how fast we got the go ahead and how fast all the assets were up and moving bodies were where they were supposed to be and we got underway and i was like okay well this is this is getting real and i remember thinking i was like well man i i hope that our training as hard as it is is prepping us for what's next and um so we just practiced and practiced and rehearsed and um nothing happened 
um, in that instance, and then um, came home and I was like, you know what, I, I, I think I'm, I think it's time for me to go to OCS. And you had already gone to OCS. I was getting ready to go. So I'd getting ready to go. Yes, to it before that deployment. Um, and so I knew I would be going after we got back from that deployment. Yeah. And very similar experience though to you. Well, yeah. like, I think it was a little, maybe a little later there. And uh, same thing. Start, phone started ringing, went down to the basement of the barracks where there was the TV and watched the Twin Towers fall and then ended up going doing the shipboarding operations out of uh, out of Kuwait for the rest of that deployment, which was interesting. Um, but uh, but yeah, you, I came back, did a little thing to another country, which was a really cool experience as well while I was waiting because I was like, this wasn't going to go into another platoon because I had an OCS date in October. So I was kind mm -hmm. of for a little bit. So I got to kind of like a free agent. So I got to go do a little something um, over overseas and then came back and then took leave uh, and then went right to, to OCS. Um, so I got to OCS in 2002, October, I think. Um, and so, so when, so you decided when you got like, right when you got back or during that deployment or. So during that deployment. So, uh, so I was like, you know, what? I, I think it's time. So I found out that they, they changed the age waiver and I was a couple hours short of getting my degree. So on deployment, I started clepping classes and um, uh, it really decided to get my degree because I flunked out of college the first time. Um, so I was like, you know what, it's time. And all the stars seemed to align. So I was like, I, I just got to take this opportunity. So I applied for OCS and um, our, our CEO at the time, Morgan, said, hey, you got to go. I mean, you got to go as high as you can go to get a letter of recommendation. It was like, my CEO's recommendation is not going to be good enough. So we're at uh, Woody's house at 4th of July party. And this gentleman named Dean Laird was there. And he's the only fighter ace in the Pacific theater and European theater. And just rock star. And so I go up to Mr. Laird and said, hey, sir, I really, I'm trying to go to OCS and I need a great letter of recommendation. And he said, oh, son, I'm not really good at writing that stuff. It's like, but my best friend is great at it. And uh, his best friend happened to be James Stockdale. Wow. You got a letter of recommendation from Stockdale? Yeah, yeah. So I um, so I talked to Mr. Laird, and he said, um, hey, got you, got you an appointment with Jim. I called him Jimmy. And he said, show up Saturday, 9 a.m. Uh, in your whites. And... Uh, I'll be, I'll, I'll be, I'll be over there as soon as I can. So I knock on the door and. Of the exact house. I mean, we lived like two blocks from him. Yeah. And I was just in San Diego and I took a picture of the house. Still there. Exact same. Yeah. So I, I go into the house. Jack, he was the nicest guy. And he walked me around the house and he just told me, told me some stories and um, four hours with Admiral Stockdale. And first thing I said was like, hey, sir, just so you know, flunked out of college. He said, he stopped me. He's like, nope, I don't even want to hear it. I'm looking through your record. You're good. Who cares about college? Your peer said that you're ready for this position. And I'm going to interview you. And if you're good, we're going to get you a letter of recommendation. So we hang out for four hours. I go home excited. And then the next day, nine, eight, nine, nine in the morning, eight or nine in the morning, get a call and said, son, where are you? And I was like, sir, I'm on my way. He had forgotten our interview. So I got dressed back up, 
went over to A Avenue and had the same interview with him second time. No way. Yeah, he was great both times. And <laughs> he wrote a letter, a handwritten letter of recommendation. Um, oh. I still have from Admiral Stockdale. That's amazing. And he went to uh, Warcom finally because I'd call him and said, sir, just checking in. Um, he's like, when's your OCS class? And I was like, sir, they haven't, uh, they haven't reviewed it yet. He's like, he hangs up the phone and he showed up, quarter deck of Warcom, you know, Admiral with Medal of Honor, you know, you have to pipe the man on board. I mean, there's protocols, right? So I guess they were just like in the movies, man, just papers were flying everywhere, bodies were going everywhere. Like, why didn't anybody tell me Stockdale's coming? And he walked in, he's like, who do I got to screw around here to get Petty Officer Green and OCS? Wow. Yeah. So RCO's like, or this, somebody's like, who the hell is Petty Officer Green? They're like, I don't know, man. Just, you know, the Admiral said, we got to get him in. So he ended up um, writing me a handwritten letter and, uh and that was my ocs letter no kidding he was fantastic jack i mean wealth of knowledge and for all he had been through i think he was one of the kindest people i'd ever met just an absolute kind human and so i told him i was like hey sir i got an ocs he's like all right yeah one more mission for you like yes sir what you got he's like when you um go meet johnny you let him know that we're friends. You tell Johnny that you hang with big boys now, and he'll know exactly what you're talking about. And I was like, "Great, sir. Who's Johnny? Johnny McCain. You tell that Johnny McCain that you're 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 with the big boys now." And I could never get on uh, the senator's calendar before he passed. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's my OCS story. And then you and I met again, '04. You had, we were, we were, you were doing the turnover and you had just gotten back from working in Najaf, it was, I think it was. No six. So, no, uh, yeah, because yeah, you were under Tim as your CEO at two. Yeah. And you and I did the turnover and you had, you know, our, our, our careers strangely mirrored each other's. Right. right. You were a couple years ahead of me. So you gave me the 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 turnover and that's said, right. I remember right that in the Baghdad at the palace. Yep. yep. That, I remember. Yeah. Oh man, that was wild. Yeah. Crazy time. Yeah, we'll go back to Stockdale. I cannot believe all those years, you know, you don't for whatever reason, I don't know why you out of respect or whatever, like why didn't I just go knock on his door one day? Or I saw that car, what was it like is like a the Osmobuick driving yeah, yes. you know, at like two miles an hour with like uh, it had the Medal of Honor on the license plate, I think. Yeah, yeah. License plate might have been another personalized thing on there. I can't remember right now, but um, but you you knew the car. Uh, mm -hmm. so you'd know the car driving around and and I knew the house. Um, but I I mean I I don't know why. Why didn't I just go up and see how uh -huh. yeah. Oh. yeah, so I uh, it was I mean, it was one of the highlights because not knowing who I mean, you heard about them, you go to Sears school and yeah, yeah, right there on the building. yeah, you read about them, and then all of a sudden, like, hey, I got you an interview with Admiral Stockdale. I was like, wait a second, i'm I'm not I'm not ready, I don't think, but he was just gracious and kind and like, you know, you can do great things, young man. Oh, that's great. You know, I kind of did the opposite for mine. I remember thinking like, geez, I don't know any senior ranking people. 
um because i remember people saying hey get the highest ranking person you can you know all this sort of thing make a difference on the board or whatever and i remember thinking like well, i don't know anybody i know my co and xo that's fine and uh maybe group you know commander maybe i forget but uh i was like i'm gonna do the opposite i'm gonna get recommendations from my chiefs and lpos um because maybe somebody on that board will look at that and say oh this is someone who really knows this person so i got my lpos to write uh ask them and they did and my chiefs um as well and so i put those in the packet so four mm -hmm. or maybe five uh from e6s and e7s uh in there maybe one e8 but i don't think so i think it was just chiefs um so i put my packet like that and just hope for the best mm -hmm. um, so that yeah so i did the opposite uh and i was like well maybe somebody maybe this will speak to somebody on that thing because maybe it'll be different than uh, other people and uh you know i'm like oh somebody knows an admiral like what does admiral know about this e4 like really this admiral's like jumping out of planes with them and diving with them and going into combat with them or whatever no they're just like asked got asked to write this thing and i thought maybe somebody on that board would be like okay admiral admiral admiral, admiral. oh wait a sec e6 this is different uh -huh. so i don't know if it helped or not uh so for anybody listening uh maybe don't take that advice in my <laughs> <laughs> it might not be, uh, it might not be uh, the best advice, but that's what I did anyway. So, and it's uh, ended up working out for uh, you know, for, for better or for worse. I think it was a, we think it was the right path for me, and and having been prior enlisted, being able to get thrown right into the fight, especially with the CEO that you mentioned that we had it mm -hmm. at two, it just kicked me right into the fight uh, as soon as I got there. So I was over in Afghanistan fairly quickly, um, which was for the time uh, was it was so beneficial. The guys that I yeah. went with, yeah. Back to team two to then take to Iraq, so it worked out. It worked out. I think as as good as it uh, as it could have. But um, yeah, it's it's nice to be out now, though. It is. Uh, I can't imagine being in now. How different it is in such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about things like social media, which I never had. Even when it came out, I was like, well, I remember when MySpace came out, like the guys in my platoon in 2000, let's say three, maybe were like, oh, what the hell? And then, uh, you know, later on Facebook and then Instagram, like, what the, you know, I'm never going to do that. Uh, <laughs> of course, now here we are uh, now you know, every day, but, uh, uh, you know, being in, how, what a different experience that would be i think now and all the different political pressures and the things that you're constantly hearing not just if you decide to turn on your television but that you're getting fed on this device you're walking around with it's you're being fed these things because obviously whoever's feeding them is trying to manipulate thoughts behavior mm -hmm. um and, you know things aren't popping up there just randomly for you to see um so it's very interesting to think about all that right now uh, i'm glad to be on the outside at this point looking at it, like we got very lucky the time frame that we were in to have that tiny bit of experience before september 11th and yeah. then back september 11th and then we're in it and then bam full-on sprint for a decade or whatever it was and then transition out um yeah. how, so what did you uh see so did your oic did what, what else uh, when after that after OCS, um, and okay, so you and I had talked. You, do. you talked to me before OCS. You're like, dude, just endure it, just yeah. endure it. <laughs> I really <laughs> put it in a place where I never think about it. Yeah, yeah. You told I me this, this, bring it up. I never think about yeah. it. Yeah. So I went to OCS. Um, showed up at team. Okay, so I think I hit all the SEAL teams within 24 hours. So I had orders to team 10, and then team 10's like. Hey, nice to meet you. Um, go over to team two. Team two said, um, yeah, yeah, he's right here. 
go over to, now you're actually assigned to team four. So going over to team four, there was some paperwork that was wrong. So I'm talking with ops at team four. He gets a phone call and says, Hey, uh, they're having a conversation. He's like, well, yeah, he's right here. He's like, well, send him on over. And then I was assigned a teammate. I was TAD teammate from team four and, yeah. um, did a great platoon with those guys. Um, and, uh, and that was yeah. when we turned over in Iraq? Yeah, that's where we turned over. Yeah. And then um, finished that, went to Boat Team 20 because I was junior. I, you know, I couldn't get an AOIC at back at a team. Um, so I, I did my OIC tour at 20. Fantastic. I mean, it, I, those guys, um, being a boat guys, maintaining those boats is hard, you know, and we worked hand in hand with them at, at September 11th. So had nothing but a great experience and had an amazing experience at the command. And then I was even more junior. So talked to Margaret and decided I wanted to get a master's. So I went to apply for Naval Postgraduate School and I wanted to take the low intensity conflict course that is basically, hey, take a break. You've been going at it for a while. So I did that for... I was planning on doing that and talked to Margaret and she said, oh, I'm going to send you to get your MBA. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, you're not. And uh, she's like, you have all those damn kids, you know, and, and I'll be damned if you're not going to have a good job when you get out of here. So here you go. And it was uh, Jack. It was, oh, was, um, it at, was it at um, uh, Naval Postgrad School? Through yeah. Yeah. And I just showed up and learn i mean that's a criminology sociology major and all of a sudden i'm learning business at the graduate level and just getting abused right but then i, I figured it out um the garbage in garbage out portion for the first part i was not great at but i kept my head above water but then we did the analytics part where you just take case studies and just think through the problem and um learned a lot and um took that and got us to talk to margaret at the end and said hey I want to go to teammate to do my OIC. She's like, done. And uh, was assigned a teammate, had an, another amazing platoon. And um, after that, knew I had some things I needed to work on. So I was like, you know what? I, uh, there's some gaps I need to fill. So I want to go do an ops tour. So I did ops tour back at 20 and then uh, did Sakura. Knew that, you know, I was going to be more marketable at 44th and 24, and I was coming up on 20 years and ended up my career at uh, Group 4 and got all the surgeries I needed and went to NICO. And then I found out how, because Jack, for some reason, I didn't understand uh, traumatic brain injury or PTS and stuff. So play football in college. Back then, it was getting your bell rung, right? And then... Uh, my first school at Team 5 was the SWS course, which was basically Reacher course. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So then blast propagated head trauma. Had no idea. So went to NICO, got my um, screenings back. And like, so you have two different types. So you have impact types, but then you also have blast types. And um, And I just couldn't. I couldn't learn new stuff. For some reason, the new stuff I just couldn't pick up. Like when we were going through the platoons and workups and stuff, we were just refining what we had already learned early on. 
Um, new tactics would come in and we could incorporate them really quickly, but I just wasn't, I wasn't as sharp as I was. The information was in there, I just couldn't get to it. And um, so retired and was going to join the FBI, but I was going to, because um, it was an easy, easy button. Um, I knew the systems, and but this gentleman out in uh, New York, we went to a, a fundraiser. And this gentleman said, uh, oh, I met this gentleman at the fundraiser, and he said, well, son, what are you going to do after you retire? And I was like, I have no idea. I'm terrified. I have no idea what I'm even good at. And he said, absolutely not. He's like, here's my card. Come out to L.A. We're going to foot the bill, and we're going to figure out what's next for you because you can't be a Navy SEAL, SEAL officer, got your MBA, and the first time somebody asks you what you're going to do, you're terrified. So I looked at that business card for about a month and finally said, you know what, I'm going to give this guy a call. Gave him a call, went out to L.A., and he was just fantastic. And, and so we, we were out there meeting his staff and his buddies. And Wednesday, he and I finally sit down and talk. He's like, Mark, you had a great resume, but I'd be doing you a disservice if I put you in my company. Um, but we're going to send you home. And, but if you want a job here, you have one. You're part of the family now. He's like, but I have to go to USC tomorrow. Do you want to go? And I was like, hell yeah, I want to go to USC. And he had known that I'd be a good fit at USC. So we get out of the car and it's graduation week and it's pandemonium. You know, students are everywhere, parents are having, it's just, it's really a party there. So I take two steps out of the car and said, Bill, this would be such a great place to work. And he didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. We had lunch, did a tour of USC, fly back home. Two weeks later, he called and said, everything we talked about two weeks ago, forget about it. I got you four interviews at USC. No way. And I said, um, okay, what am I going to be interviewing for? He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Just don't suck. Yeah, hung up the phone. So I go out and interview, and turns out he's a trustee at USC. And he said, he's my guy. Give him, give him some interviews. If he's not good, then, you know, no harm, no foul. So I had four interviews and got three job offers. And, um, you know... As you're transitioning, I realized that after you're out, you're more tolerated but not welcome anymore by the by the team guys. Yeah, and and not from any fault of theirs. It's just they're still in it. You know, yeah, they're still, yeah so they're still in it. And you want to like, hey guys, I'm how's it going? And you know, bird spinning, they got to go. So I realized I was like, I'm not going to recreate that locker room ever again. So I got to USC and took the job, and it was just fantastic. Uh, but on the flip side of it, that's when the transition started. That's when the invisible injury started, and I have to learn something new. And I realized I, I, I used to be able to do sniper calculations like that or you know stuff with the job. I could do it really, really quickly, but learning new stuff, I was like, I can't, I can't get it. So... I was at the perfect spot as research university and I told them what the problem was. And like, well, have you tried this? Like, well, we're sponsoring a study, go over here. And finally we got something that stuck. But from the time I retired to the time I really figured out transition and what I was going through, um, it took about four years. 
And by the time I moved back, um, I was pretty good. But in the meantime, unfortunately, I'd gone through a divorce and I wasn't quite good at any one thing. I wasn't, I moved to LA, weird place, new city, new job. Um, wasn't keeping my family together. I just wasn't good at any one thing anymore. And what do team guys do when you're struggling? You pile more stuff on. So I said, I have a great idea. I'm going to go to grad school. So I applied for grad school. And then there was one more thing I wasn't good at because I hadn't been to school since 2009, graduated 2009. This was 2017 is when I started. And I just wasn't good at that either. And, you know, with everything that was going on, this, it crept up as like, what if, what if everybody in life would be better if I just wasn't around anymore? You know, I just felt like I was a burden. It was just, it, Jack, it was, it was just for a second, right? But it crept in there. And um, this wonderful friend of mine called up and said, hey, are you all right? I'm like, nope. And I was like, I need you to do me a favor. Going over to the house, got going through a rough patch, got guns in the house. We just take the guns out of the house for the day. And she was 30 minutes away, lived in um, Hollywood. I got out of the house, took a 30 minute walk, coming back to the apartment. She's pulling in, gives me a big hug and says, Hey, you're good. You're all right. We care about you. And um, you're just going through a rough patch. And her the guns and she took off 20 minutes 30 minutes later slept on it uh, next day i was like okay it was a, it was a reset but had i not had that support system i i don't know i can't definitively say i would have made it and uh it's just because i really just felt like i not being not having a tribe anymore and it's, it's 20 years of your life doing team guy stuff with amazing humans um, doing this very difficult job. Even though we're complaining a lot, we're, we love it and we love the community and we love the camaraderie and we love the training and we love how challenging it is. And um, I missed it much more than I ever thought I would. And all those things piling on, it really just came to a head and I'm just like, man, I feel like I'm a burden. And, um, and I was like, yeah. I need some help. I can't get there on my own. And the my friend coming over that night was the catalyst that really just started the healing process. So, um, so here I am today. You know, talking to a great friend after 25 years, and um, wanted to share that story of people who who are struggling. And that's what I really wrote the book about. Was I thought we lost? I've lost so many friends taking their own lives more so than combat. And I was just like, well, I just want somebody to read this book and say, hey, I've been through that as an athlete, or I've been through that in the military, or I've been through a divorce. I've lost a friend. I've lost a family member. I'm going to be professional at something other than what I put these thousands of hours towards. And I got that perspective on uh, from working with athletes. Kind of, kind of similar thing, thousands of hours of prepping, doing this job they love, and then want to get drafted to the NFL or at the next level, call never comes. So now they have to be a professional with something else and they also transition and it's really challenging. And um, 
I had all those touch points of, of really just telling the story and a gentleman at pivotal moments asked me if I was going to tell my story. And I was like, so many more team guys have much more interesting stories. And he heard me speak at USC one time and he's like, all right, I'm sick of you. Here's your four ghostwriters. Pick one. Um, you're funded for a book. Go. I was like, okay. And the result of that was unsealed. And um, I really hope it, it, it touches not only the service member, but perhaps the family member. A wife sees that their husband's going through something or their spouse is going through something. The kids say, hey, dad, why don't you read this story? Because this is, seems to be what you're going through. And it's like no holds barred. It's good, bad, and ugly. And this is just my experience. And I hope it resonates to a point where you can say, yeah, I, I might need to, I might need some help getting through this rough patch. Yeah, because yeah, I, I read it and uh, I'm like, gosh, I've known the Mark since 1997. I'm learning all this stuff from before SEAL teams. Uh, yeah. Also um so uh and then 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 after so um yeah it, uh, it's a powerful uh book and i know it's going to help people no doubt about it um what did you do when you, after your friend came over that day and uh took the the weapons uh, out of the house um what was your next step like what did you do to to get that uh that help that you needed i had this notebook that has been sitting and i just started what's called a gratitude log and I just took it hours of just writing everything I was grateful for. And I thought it was just going to be a couple of things. And it's just like two pages of stuff that I was grateful for. And I was like, well, I can't leave all this behind. Oh, wow. And so from then on, I just started a gratitude log because I just wanted my day to start off with things I was grateful for. And that was the thing. I was that dusty old red book. I just said gratitude log on it. And I just wrote until I couldn't find anything else I was grateful for. And it was two pages of just grateful. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I think that in and of itself can help a lot of people. That's what a great way to start a day to, to start with an affirmation like that of the things that you're grateful for. Uh -huh. So I would ride the train, uh, arrive at on campus mm -hmm. and I would sit in the sunlight and I would just start the day off. Just, Hey, this is what I'm grateful for. And that mindset just made the whole day better. And then I, I maintain routines, right? I, went to the gym every day i stopped what i was doing i would go work out with the athletes uh every day at lunch and i just got into a routine where i was kind of on autopilot so i could slowly process what i was going through get into a routine um i'm an introvert by nature so i, I really process really well by myself i had that alone time and then it just one day turned into well, one year was turned into two years and years later and um i think that's the catalyst for it just that gratitude log and i still still maintain it well, um other than that how's uh how do you deal with uh post-traumatic express and traumatic brain injury and can they tell like hey we we think you got this from the teams or hey this you, you compounded on what you did in football here i mean it can't be great to go from football into the teams and have all these breaches go off and you know IEDs go off and all the all the rest of it shooting at 50 uh yeah with uh like a number of shoot right yeah. it's like only do a certain amount but no one cared about that back right. then like remember we had to get rid of 50 ammo so we would just 
shoot the 50 ammo until yeah. it expended. And then same thing with uh, like AT4s Four, and yeah. rockets and um, Carl Gustafs. There's like a number. I don't think they let you shoot more than a few each time, each day or whatever it was. And then the instructors, remember them? They had yeah. to sit. And when we went through, a lot of them just did this. Yeah, like, I know. Photos of instructors doing this for like multiple iterations of us going through, doing it, going through the procedures, doing it once and then going like law rocket stage, AT4 stage, Carl Gustav stage or whatever that that was in SEAL qualification training even. And it was very similar during the workups, I think. But you had those instructors just do this every time. And they're standing there for like 50 people. Or the brass and the, oh, the brass. brass in the ears. <laughs> or the chief of one that wanted us to get used to being in a firefight without ear pro. Right. September 11th. Uh huh. So that's crazy. And yeah. I'm next to the calm guy. I'm next to the 60. I'm next to the, the eight up. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. And so you're on the ground and you're shooting your M4 and there you got the, the eight ups going over here, whatever. Yeah. I mean, what? Without ear pro to get used to it? Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do, Jack? You got to get uh, used to it. Crazy. Yeah. So, and then um, very soon thereafter, we got headsets and embitters and all the rest of it, which noise canceling headsets and, yeah, and all. Some doctor came and said, Hey, you guys can't actually do this because you're oh these guys. Goodness. And what most people don't know is you put those that brass in or you take just the foamies and put them in. Well, the bone around your ear right here is taking that vibration also and the sounds getting in there, not just through little gaps of like air, but it's coming in or through the bone here as well. Just like listening through a door that you're hearing. Right, right. You're getting it through there too. So having the foamy and so now when I shoot now, I put foamies and then I have my noise canceling headsets over. Mm just to protect those sides of the head. Cause I've been, you know, just too much. And even if we're shooting suppressed, uh, I, I still, I still do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was the start. And then I just looked at different modalities on, Hey, what works for, um, just head trauma. And there's, there's wasn't a lot out there. So, um, I did what's called EMDR. Um, and basically that's a that's a that's a trauma therapy um and that worked for me because i didn't want i didn't want to get medicated what is it so basically it's your and i and i'm gonna butcher this but basically it's yeah basically it's stimulating the right and left side of your of your body and it brings up um, a memory and instead of it just sitting in um your amygdala reliving the trauma and you know you you feel it throughout your body and you're reliving it so really it just takes it out of that fight or flight mode and then it just puts it into a folder and now it's just a memory hmm. mm -hmm. and it's not like you're not reliving it again it's like and they start off with like hey when's what was the thing that happened it was like oh my dog died so we just start off with how do you feel about your dog dying they put you through the, the the protocol and you move through that that uh emotion or that whatever's sitting in there causing um that fight or flight to trigger. And it I just had this great therapist named Robert Andrews. He's out of Houston. And he was the first one that started. And we were in we were in San Diego. He said, You look like you'd be a good candidate. I work with high performers and let's just try it. So I did, and he was fantastic, and that really started it. And then 
you know, I had a, a shoulder surgery and said, hey, doc, I don't really want to be on medication. He's like, well, just do yoga. Yoga is better than meds anyway. So gratitude log, stand into a routine, um, did the EMDR and do yoga, and it's manageable. The, the last thing I have to work through is sleep. I'm, just, I'm still not sleeping well. Yeah. And uh, as soon as I cross that threshold, then I'll be good, I think. Sorry, I smiled just because I was thinking about how late I was up last night. It's <laughs> 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 not asleep just because I can't go to sleep. It's because I'm just going too late and getting up too early. But that's yeah. So 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 yeah, Jack. That was my journey, and um, you know, I, I'm I really hope to reach a lot of good reach a lot of people and start off on the micro level of the service member, but then hopefully as book picks up steam and it reaches business people or parents or um, athletes, just there's just the whole gamut of transitions because we're all transitioning at some point. And um, I just added a bunch of stories that some good, some bad, some ugly, and, you know, um, becoming a parent was a transition, which I wasn't ready for. Um, losing a parent, you know, that was, uh, that was one. So I just compiled them all and put some, texture to it because my editor said this is a great story but you're talking at your audience you're not talking to your audience so she said you need to add some texture to it so that's when i had to dive deep and not do academic writing but it's like hey here's how i felt as i was walking through new york city going to that event mm -hmm. or walking down the hallway when my dad had lost his leg then all that or how you felt on your near-death experiences so um hadn't dived that deep into it and the first story i started off with was the one with michael and um it was that was a tough one yeah that's emotional one to read and what are you doing what are you doing now book comes it'll be out when this podcast drops so it's out january 22nd i believe yes. on the field anywhere books are sold they can go to the mark green with an e.com uh to find out what you got going on there but uh so what are you doing what are you doing right now what's your uh what's your main focus now professionally so i think it's gonna hopefully it's gonna be the quiet before the storm and i i i don't know why jack but i i'm so grateful for the people that took the time and and purchased the book pre-sale I mean, I want to have events where I'm just meeting people who, who are supportive and signing their book and shaking hands. And, uh, you know, uh, that's what I hope to do. I just want to get some book tours going and just meet the people who were supportive and took the time to read the book and watch these podcasts and get to know me as a person. And um, so that's what's next. Man, well, that's, that's the best part because uh, I try to use social media that way. I try to thank as many people as I possibly can mm -hmm. uh, to reach out and say that they uh, read the book, listen to the book, watch the podcast, listen to the podcast, watch the show on Amazon Prime, whatever. Um, so I try to thank as many people as I possibly can. But at book signings, that's a place where you can really shake hands, look them in the eye and really yeah. because it's uh, they're trusting you with that time that they're never going to get back. And there's uh, there's a large responsibility there but there's a connection there as well so um so i i love doing that and uh and being able to, to really say thank you in person to to people because it's a it's a different experience in, in person but uh but i do love that there is social media because i can use it that way the bad yeah. part obviously is you see when you're trying to say thank you to people you see all the crazy things also which maybe isn't the most yeah. but uh but i still i try to 
you know, not let those take up too much bandwidth and, uh, and still, you know, say thank as many people as I can on those, on those channels. But I have to thank you for one, because you sent me a book of the terminal list and you wrote this personal mark. It was great to serve with you. So I signed 151 books and each person I knew, I wrote something like, Hey, here's where, here's a memory that connects you and I, and it's not just, Hey, thank you for the book and just signing it. It's like, Hey, remember when we met in high school, walking spinning Hills high school or middle school, or just some memory that ties us together. And I took that from you and I had known each other for a long time, but I opened up the book and it's like, Jack wrote me a personal note. And, uh, so I'm learning a lot, but, uh, man, I'm just, you know, grateful for you, man. It's, so we've, we've, we've known each other for quite some time. And, uh, every time I've watched, I've watched the terminal list a bunch of times. And every time I see Jack Carr up there, I'm like, but then I cry, I almost cry. I was like, oh, Jack, Jack died, but. <laughs> the character I was playing and I had to um, episode three near the beginning and I had to talk so like hey just so you know in real life this would go down a little bit differently all right yeah I was like I was like you need to be I was like I know Jack would not miss that shot no this would go down a little differently in real life but uh they wouldn't let me do the crash the car crash and yeah. I thought this you know it'll be deal with you know Navy SEAL I can do that and uh and then I saw it on film and I think I couldn't do it because of the uh, stuntmen Anyway, couldn't do it. But uh, the guy who doubled me uh, doubled Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon getting handcuffed to the business guy. And he's yeah. a legendary stuntman named Mick Rogers. Awesome guy. Um, so he doubled me for that. So they do the car crash and then he gets out and I get in. But uh, when I saw them do the car crash in person, I was like, oh, because it just looks like a fender bender on screen. Uh -huh. It was a hard hit. And, uh, okay. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I'm glad that I <laughs> So then I got in the car and then got to do the, the shootout stuff and you have glasses on. So there's glass breaking because they have these little um, mortars, little mortar tubes, essentially, that are under the dash that you can't see on camera. And so yeah. it's shooting in and I'm shooting out. There's somebody pressing a button on like an iPad type thing off camera. Okay. And it's shooting these little ball bearings into the glass. So it looks like bullet holes. Huh. Um, but fragments uh from that and then had a squib in the headrest so i'm doing that doing the shootout and then when chris comes around and shoots me in the head uh then i throw my head to the side and they hit the squib and it's in the headrest and he shoots the blood all over the place so, heartbroken uh, the first time i saw that I oh like, man thank you i'll <laughs> made up i'll all made up and uh yeah in in real life yeah yeah it's going down differently old chris pratt yeah <laughs> oh man so when we met chris for the first time he was the nicest guy he was so gracious with his time and uh i noticed a picture that you posted of that night yeah that somebody was cut out of that picture well i think two two people were because so jared's in there too i think <laughs> were you on the other side yeah i'm just like i'm not in the picture <laughs> oh man i have to go back and find the original then oh um, i'll send it to you i'll send it to you <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll uh, uh now that you're public, I think you I usually I try to cut people out that aren't like public sometimes, or I'm yeah. not something like that. Um, but uh yeah, I'll I'll repost with you in there now that Unsealed is out there, available everywhere books are sold. Uh and uh and talk about that in the caption because that was a really cool night. What was really interesting also is that's a cool I won't, I won't say where it was because it's kind of off the beaten path, it's kind mm -hmm. of like a yeah of our favorite spots in LA because it's not like an LA scene type place. It's kind of like old school Hollywood almost. Um, cool. It's a cool place. Yeah. Uh, paparazzi still got them coming out that night. They did? 
him and Jared because they because they left and then we stayed and kept uh, uh, partaking in the festivities. Um, but when he left, they got it was in like People Magazine or People Online or something the next day. So they just have these, you know, they have Intel networks set up all around, you know, L.A., probably New York as well. And so they have somebody, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It could be anybody that's working there that uh, just sends a little text probably and uh, says, hey, Chris Pratt's here. Um, he's about to leave or whatever. And then there's somebody outside. Probably they, you know. Hey, give them a little money and blah 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 and it's just a it's an ecosystem but it's a really mm. interesting one because even well, he, that, was, he still got caught by the paparazzi coming out of there yeah but he i mean he was such a gracious guy you know and i was i was really surprised you know at that, that level and he just sat and was gracious and told great stories and then he took a picture with me as uh you know as uh star lord basically and uh um, I think I posted on something that if you're not a fan of this guy, you become a fan because it doesn't get a whole lot better than uh, than Chris. So yeah. no, absolutely. We're on uh, these calls casting for the next season of the show. So we have you know, people reading and we're on the screen and he's reading with them and just so gracious, so kind, so smart. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, just a genuine, genuinely good human being. Yeah, yeah. And uh that whole, I mean, it was it was memorable because uh, the reconnect with you, and then all of a sudden look over, and, and it's actually Chris. Yeah, you're <laughs> tall, by the way. It's tall. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like, we're not short. You're taller than I am, but uh, but yeah, he's he's a tall guy. And yeah. A big, strong guy. Strong yeah. Guy. Yeah. So such a good dude. Such a good dude. Oh man. Well, hopefully we can do it again one of these days soon link up in person. Hopefully you, you pass through park city or salt Lake on, uh, on one of these book tours and, and we can uh, link up here or on the road or LA or wherever. Happy to do it anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So once again, vmarkgreen.com and that's with an E at the end of green unsealed out there now. And what's the Instagram? Uh, vmarkgreen. So. so we we have this social media um person her name is lexi if you like the posts i did them if you don't like the posts lexi did them come on now <laughs> she's she's great i mean she's been spearheading the whole social media thing and you know i wasn't comfortable with it but she said hey she consolidated all the the names and she's just been driving the train and she's just fantastic so uh yeah, um, it's a new it's world thing. right now. Yeah, it's like, a hard thing to get comfortable with, especially if you're, you know, more private, um, which I know you are and I am as well. It might not seem like it at this at this stage, but um, it's it's an it's for me. I had to real I realized that okay, stepping into this new realm and mm -hmm. you want to do the things that you've always dreamed of doing, and now it's 2020. You know, it's it's 21st century, not the 20th century. Um, then you're going to have to embrace these different platforms um, and we're to connect with an audience and, and uh, hopefully grow a readership um, and uh, hopefully provide value by doing so and not just put up, not just make asks, but, right. really, uh, and not just share a journey though, that's part of it. But it's for me, I think about adding value to somebody's life, whether it's a single Instagram post or it's this podcast, uh, any sentence in the book, any line in, um, in the series, so any of those things, they have to add value to someone's life because of that time that we talked about, because they're trusting me with time they're never going to get back. So I never flippantly 
post anything. I really think it through and ask myself, hey, if, if someone's trusting me with their time and they're scrolling through and they see this and they take the time to read it, uh, have I added value to their life through time they're never going to get back? And so, so it's something I take, uh, I put a lot of thought into, but, uh, you know, hey, it's, uh, it, it is a, a different world for sure. Yeah. All so the adaptations, the warfare, just like the battlefields, <laughs> adaptation, you know, and uh, who, who adapts faster than the enemy. Uh, <laughs> so, Jack, if you don't mind, I'm going to purchase some of the uh, axes and, and uh, put a memorial of, of the axes in my office. Oh, man, no way. Oh, oh of course I am. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so just if you see podcasts with that coming up, just know that uh, – you know, you've been an inspiration for quite some time. And uh, the least I could do is is one thank you and just continuously thank you and um, just represent uh, our friendship. And it's it's incredibly valuable. And uh, I really thank you for for everything you've done. And absolutely. No, it's been incredible knowing you from the, the earliest days of Buds all the way through today. So looking forward to the, the road ahead. And uh, man, congratulations on everything. Thank you for your time in uniform and for sharing this story and unsealed with everyone, because I think it is going to help a ton of people because everyone's going to go through some, everyone's going to get knocked down. Everyone's going to go through transition um, and, uh, and reading this story. You never know how many people you'll never know how many right. people that's the, that's kind of the bottom line with it. So, um, so thanks for taking the time today and uh, to everybody else out there. Uh, Mark, the Mark Green, com. Check out the book. You can follow me on the social channels at Jack Carr USA, officialjackcar.com. That is the website. Click on shop in the upper right-hand corner for the merch. And until the next time, take care out there. Stay safe, be strong, keep fighting. Better brother. See you, Jack. Do you think you know James Reese? Think again. Red Sky Morning available May 14th in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook. Everywhere books are sold. Will there be blood? Count on it.